Have you been thinking about getting an instructor rating? Not sure where to start? Looking into all the different training endorsements and just have no idea how it works. Well, I answer all those questions and more coming right up. So strap in and let's get into it. G'day everyone, welcome to episode 10 of Flight Training Australia, the podcast all about private and commercial flying, flight training and flying around Australia and beyond. I'm your host Trent Robinson, thank you for joining me. For those who are new to the show and don't know me, I'm Head of Operations of a flight school up here in Darwin, a flight examiner and flight instructor. If you uh, haven't seen any of the other episodes, you can go to flighttrainingaustralia.com.au They'll be all listed there and uh, also all the possible uh, listening servers that you can find the podcast on. And if you're loving what you're hearing, please leave a review. Uh, It really, truly helps me out. I've seen several reviews now showing up on Apple Podcasts. And guys, thank you. I'm truly humbled. Uh, Everyone has taken the time to send me a message or review. Thank you so much. It really helps the show uh, be found by everybody else. So uh, if you could take the time to go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review, I'd be eternally grateful. All right, so when I finished my commercial license way back in 1998, I was quite inspired to be an instructor. It was the the pathway I kind of wanted to go down and uh, do that for the time being before moving into a bit of charter. It was a bit different back then. We were very fortunate to have a great mix of both charter and instructing at uh, my place of work, which is the Royal Aero Club in WA, down at Jandicott. We actually did a single-engine charter as well as multi-engine charter back then before it kind of moved into multi-engine only and then after that uh, multi and turbine is it probably is more set up now. So that was the path I decided to go down. Now, one of the first questions I often get is, what should I do? Should I be an instructor or should I be a charter pilot? And the way I answer that one is, well, it really is up to you, the individual. And it kind of comes down to, are you a people person? Do you like people? If you're not much into people, you prefer to be on your own, operate as an individual, well, then the charter environment is probably more your scene. Your aeroplane, off you go, do your thing with your passengers or freight, whatever it is and come back. Whereas instructors, if you're more of a people person, you're going to get so much more out of it and you're really going to be better valued to your students as well. They're going to really enjoy your company. You'll get a buzz out of what they're doing and their achievements and it'll just make you an all-round better instructor. doesn't mean you can't be an instructor though. Uh, There's great instructors, there's good instructors and there's amazing instructors. So there's a place for everybody. But that's generally what I say. If you you really like people, you're a bit of a people person, then instructing is a fantastic pathway to go down. Back in the day, the format of the course was typically called an instructor course. And what you did was a grade three instructor rating, and then down the line you became a grade two and a grade one, and then you could do uh, your multi-engine training, instrument training, night training, all that sort of thing. It was structured very differently. Today, 
in part 61, we have instructor training endorsements. So the first thing we have, and the first part of starting an instructor course is the PMI course or Principles and Methods of Instruction. Now, this is essentially a teaching degree in a couple of days, all right? Uh, on the PMI course, and again, it depends on how the course is structured at your chosen school, but it is taking you through how to be an effective trainer, how to be a teacher, an instructor, uh how people learn, how we communicate effectively, and it then moves into obviously classroom techniques, airborne instructional techniques, and uh, just everything that is the benchmarks of what you're going to need to be able to teach. Once that's done, there's an exam, and then you're good to go and continue your chosen training endorsement. Now, when you do the PMI course, there are a couple of alternatives to doing the PMI course, but you must have done a course regardless of self-study, with the exception of holding a certificate for in training and assessment or a tertiary qualification in teaching. What those second two don't do, though, is talk about aviation-related material, of course. Now, as I said, depending on how the PMI course is structured, you could be uh, just doing the bare bones PMI and then airborne instructional techniques and looking at the manual standards and the CASRs and all the other elements can be scattered throughout the course. My course, I tend to cover all that in the beginning because it shows how the lessons are structured and how the formulated lesson plans, training matrix, training records and how it all comes together to meet the f first solo, training aero solo, and uh, the RPL flight test, if that's a grade three training endorsement that you're going to do. If it's design feature or something else, I'll do the same method, but just adapt the lesson material. So that's very important. If you've self-studied for the PMI, well done. It's not an easy task. It's quite a slog but you still must complete a PMI course if you don't hold Cert 4 or you're a, you're a teacher, okay? So make sure that you do that. If you do the course uh, option, then they will take you through everything. And the course is primarily based on the FAA instructor guide. That is the main source of the material. There are a few others. And again, all this information is on the CASA website. And there'll be a link in the description below to help you find information on the exam. And the exam content, of course, is in the manual standards. You'll find that in Schedule 3, which is the Aeronautical Knowledge Standards. And as for any exam, the entire uh, content of the exams are listed there. So you can go in for the instructor course and Section 2.4, the FERC exam, Flight Instructor Rating Course, has all the uh, info that you're going to need to learn and study before you sit the exam, and that's your checklist as well. So any exam that you want to do, you can do the same thing, guys. Grab the manual standards. That'll tell you exactly what's in it. All right, so once you've completed your exam 
and passed it. And again, well done. It is a challenging exam. You need to then decide, if you haven't already, what instructor rating, or sorry, what instructor training endorsement it is you want to do. And this is where the concept and the development of it has changed greatly since Part 61 came out. Before, if you wanted to teach IFR, you needed to be a Grade 1 instructor. Now, you could do the PMI course and teach IFR straight away. Now, if you're from the old school of thinking, you'll think, well, that's just crazy. You know, you need to have been an instructor for many years before you can do that. Well, remember, Part 61 is all about moving to competency-based training, which means you would expect to do more of an instructor rating course on instrument flying if it's your first time versus someone who already has done some instructing. They're going to reach competency sooner. They're not going to need to learn how to teach and manage an aircraft in the right-hand seat, et cetera, et cetera, quite so much. Okay, so that's where the courses vary. If you come to me for a design feature training endorsement, for example, as your first instructor rating certificate, then we're going to spend a lot more time rather than someone who's already got a grade three or a two and wants to add design feature to it, okay? So the course material and the structure of the course is going to vary greatly, which means the price is also going to vary greatly, not just between school to school, but depending on your previous qualifications and experience. So bear that in mind. All right, so like I said, if we go to the CASRs Part 61, dot 1235 or 1235, you're going to find the table and it has the kinds of training endorsements that are there. And column one has the endorsement, column two has the authorised activities and column three has your requirements. Now this is the next kind of bombshell that confuses some people. You can actually hold a pilot instructor rating as a private pilot. And you're going to go, come again. All right. You can't hold every training endorsement. This is the first thing to understand. Some of them you must have a commercial or ATPL license, commercial license, and you can then do these other training endorsements. Where does it fit in? For some private pilots, they may be a specialist in their field or an SME which when you do the PMI course, you'll understand means a subject matter expert. So you might be very, very good at aerobatics. You've uh, done some competitions and, uh, you know, made a bit of a name for yourself and have something to contribute back into the aviation community. And you may want to be able to teach aerobatics and pass on some of that skill set. All right. So what you can do is the ground component, the PMI course, and then sit the aerobatics flight activity training endorsement and learn how to teach aerobatics. Now, the course structure, be it aerobatics or grade three or two or night rating or anything, is the briefings and lessons that you would be giving a student. You'll do the majority of them, not necessarily all of them, and again, scaled up and down depending on your previous experience. So the idea is that to hold the training endorsement, you should be able to deliver any lesson content within that realm of training. 
So for a grade three training endorsement, you should be able to teach anything from effects of controls, basic ab initio, right through to PPL and CPL daytime flying. It's a massive amount. And that's why that course is probably the biggest and takes the longest to complete. Grade three training endorsement will typically take six to eight weeks, depending on who you're flying with and where you are. Right. And again, the structure can be a little bit different. There's been some changes with the minimum hour requirements and things. Doing a thing called mutual, which is where you go out and practice with another trainee. Um, a lot of schools have scrubbed that now. Originally, I didn't think that was a really great idea, but having run a great number of instructor courses, I'm actually kind of on board with it now. What I found is a lot of instructor trainees would go out and practice what I just taught them uh, on the lesson in readiness to give it back to me after their practice session and came back and gave me something completely different. It was like a nightmare version of Chinese whispers. So most of the time the mutual is cut out and you're typically going to be looking around a 30-hour flying course plus all the theory. All right, so that's how the courses are going to be structured. If you're a private pilot, there are some things you can do. You can do design feature training. You can do flight activity. So, for example, you might want to give an aerobatic rating and tailwheel endorsement at the same time, possibly even manual propeller pitch control. So you can teach all of those yourself, and you can teach them as an individual. All right? So the way that works is you don't have to do it through a flying school. All right, so just say that we've got Flight Training Australia Flying Club or Flying School. You can do it as Joe Bloggs. There are some things to be aware of, though. If you go out and do it by yourself, you're on your own. You need to know what you're doing, which should be covered in the training endorsement. But then you need to make sure that you have your own set of training notes, training records, training lesson plans. You need to keep all these, just like any other school, for seven years, and you would seriously want to look at your own professional indemnity insurance. All right, so just be mindful of what is required, just like any other business out there, okay? If you want to have that endorsement and qualification and then get employed by a flying school to do it, well, then that can happen. Now, some of you are thinking, yeah, hang on, but what about hire and reward? Private pilots can't be paid. Hire and reward is to do with commercial passenger transport, not applying to this instance. And that is exactly why a private pilot can be an instructor. Okay. So you could go and do that. Alternatively, you look at the other pathways that are available. Now, airlines, uh, large Charter companies are former RPT. It's all changed now, but any passenger carrying organization, Aeromed, that sort of thing, will typically have their own check and training. And that process now also requires everyone to hold a instructor rating. This can be used for simulator certifications. You can be a simulator-only instructor, or you might want the training endorsements to issue a King Air endorsement, for example. So to do that, you would need design feature, which would give you the ability to issue probably something like pressurization, 
most people going into that would have turbine and multi at that stage, but pressurization could be a new thing. So they have that and multi-engine training endorsement and instrument training endorsement. So that would then allow you to do IFR training in a multi-engine aircraft and issue any design features that were required for someone who needed them. And that's what a typical check-in training would do. So they wouldn't have grade three, two or one necessarily. They might do, but it's not required anymore. Now, someone who's been around the traps for a while, again, would say, all right, what about flight reviews? Who can do that? Surely only an experienced instructor can do that. And the answer is no. As per CSR 61 in the instruction section or section T, it says that anyone that holds the applicable training endorsement. So if you've done a design feature with a single engine class rating training endorsement, then that's enough because part of the training will be how to do the flight review because that's one of the privileges of that training endorsement, the same as a multi or instrument. You'll be doing PIFR training endorsements. All right, so you can do flight reviews. Remember you're doing a rating, not a, a license. So it's the rating that you learn to teach that gives you that privilege of being able to do flight reviews as well. So if you do a grade three training endorsement, you'll do single engine class rating with that. And that allows you to do single engine class rating flight reviews as a grade three, because it's actually the single engine training endorsement that's giving you that permission, not the grade three. So the statement in the CSRs of saying that a grade three can't do a flight review is a bit silly. It's it's misleading because it's not correct because you won't get a grade three by itself. It will come with a single engine class rating training endorsement as well. All right, so there's table 1235. That gives all the different options of all the different things you can teach. So the best thing to do is have a bit of a look at that. Talk to your local flying school that can do flight instructor ratings or look at coming abroad and uh, doing it somewhere else. And they'll be able to advise you as the best way to go about it as well. Some of it is uh, available full-time. Some of it you can do part-time. So it's really up to you as to how you want to structure it and uh, put your course together there. Now, the big thing to probably really consider is setting aside time for a training endorsement other than the grade three, because that is really a full-time one, is I get asked all the time, oh, multi-engine training. Yeah, look, I'm just going to take a week off work and do it. Now, physically, a week everything could fit. But what you've got to remember is there's a lot of information to learn and you need to compile briefs. You need to look at the training records. You'll need to do the flights, uh, the gives and the give backs. Uh, and that takes a lot of time. Even if you come with someone else's briefs pre-prepared, I generally always find it turns into a bit of a disaster Either the briefs that are brought in are substandard, they're not very good, just not up to date or whatever it is, or you don't understand the briefing content and it's not good. You've got to remember that at the end of the day, someone's going to be paying you good money to deliver this information and this training. So you want to make sure that you're going to be reasonably proficient in its delivery and giving good value for money. At the end of the day, that's what's most important. So you will need some time 
some of the training endorsements, you'd probably want more like two weeks just to have some time in between. Board briefs or whiteboard briefs are still in vogue. Don't knock them. They are fairly quick and easy to deliver, though I understand if you're like me and don't have the best handwriting, PowerPoint's a fantastic tool if used correctly. And again, we'll teach you how to do that so you don't suffer by death by PowerPoint. But the thing to remember is trying to put together a PowerPoint package takes time, especially if you're not very good at it and especially if you're a bit of a perfectionist and you start trying to focus too much on the animations and the presentations and everything else. At the end of the day, you may not even use those briefs in your eventual place of work. So just factor all that in and make sure you allow a realistic amount of time before you get stuck into it. If you really need to, you can also consider doing some online before the actual course starts and getting all your briefs prepared that way. So that is instructor ratings. There's a, a bunch of information in there. Like I said, section T of the CSRs will take you through everything. Next week, we're going to have a look at proficiency checks, the flight test component itself, and what if at the point of wanting to do a proficiency check, you want to add on something else? What's going to be involved? Can you combine training endorsements? There's a lot of uh, confusion and interesting ideas out there on that one as well. So I'll cover all that off on next week's episode. So instructor tests and proficiency checks will all be next week. Until then, uh, slightly change of schedule I guess you could say I'm going to be adding in every now and then a Top Up Thursday episode. And this particular Thursday will be a mailbox episode. We'll be talking about flight into known icing conditions, what actually constitutes that, and also applying for jobs. Just a little expansion on that. What if you have facial hair? What if you have a beard? Uh, can you still have a beard and get a job as a pilot? We'll cover all that off then. If uh, you've got any questions, like I say, send me an email, message me on Instagram or Facebook. You can find all my links in the description uh, below and I'll certainly do my best to answer it in a future episode. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Until then, blue skies and remember the golden rule, aviate, navigate, communicate. Cheers, everyone.